0: I'm Grace, CEO and founder of Cultural Calculator, and this is The Culture Coach, where we share the wisdom and knowledge from the trailblazers who have broken new ground through their approach to leadership, team building, and ultimately creating cultural change for the better. Created and sponsored by Cultural Calculator. My first ever culture coach that I've got with me today is Nell Byron, one of the founders of Be Her Lead. So I'm going to pass over to Nell to introduce herself
1: and her company. Hi Grace, it's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I am Nell, as Grace already said. I am one of the co-founders and director of Be Her Lead. We are a non profit social enterprise um, and we create intersectional feminist spaces in schools. The way that we do this is through training women in teaching to run programs in their schools um, to support girls' well-being um, and aspirations. So
0: I really, really wanted to get Nell on the show because she really is empowering the next generation of leaders and she's got a focus on girls and non-binary students in schools. So it's been quite a journey to getting to the point where you are now how many years down the line?
1: Um oh gosh 6, 2017. Yeah. So 5 years.
0: 5 years in. Okay. So let's rewind by 5 years back to the very beginning when you were teaching in a school. What was it that kind
1: of brought about you seeing this is something that really needed attention? Mm. So in terms of my teaching career, it was so myself and my other three co-founders were part of a boys mentoring group within the school where each of us had one, um, one boy who we were, we would meet with sort of once a week and just check that they were doing all of their homework and getting all of their work done and kind of able to reach their target grades. Um, just to clarify as well,
0: like what, um, kind of year group of students are we talking primary school, secondary school? No, so this was
1: year 11, so GCSE students. Okay. So, um just for sort of context I guess schools are under immense pressure to um focus heavily on kind of quantitative data and by that I mean like the GCSE grades A-level grades like numbers right um and that's what kind of Ofsted that is changing a bit now but that's what Ofsted would really look for when they were um looking around these schools and working out um kind of what grade the schools would be getting so this school that I was teaching in recognized that the boys were not on track to meet their target grade, So in kind of a panic mode style, they decided to run run this mentoring group. Um, meanwhile, the girls were kind of, this is a generalization. There's lots of generalizations that I'll probably talk about today. Um, but the girls were, uh, just sort of like getting on with it really. And just kind of, slipping through in the background and getting on with it and meeting their target grades and but I was really pushing them to thrive or to like push themselves outside of their comfort zones and I also think generally again that um, boys are much more kind of vocal it's much much easier to see a boy who's in need because of the way that they kind of carry themselves girls are much more likely to kind of internalize um, any issues that That's they have. That's
0: really interesting because you think there's so much around kind of Men not expressing their emotions, so I'm really surprised to hear. Yeah,
1: so I think it's more behavior-wise. you will you will recognize? It's it's much more obvious when boy is acting up in class, for example. Right, right. This is a focus. Whereas a girl who's maybe going through the same sorts of emotions wouldn't be as loud. Like it's it's as simple as that. Wouldn't necessarily be as loud in terms of I need I need more help. I need more support. And this is becoming more and more apparent now through conversations with teachers so we were part of this boys mentoring group and then we kind of recognized oh yeah that's that's super weird like why are we not doing anything for the girls and obviously we taught the the girls in the school they were in our classes um and we had a lot of conversations around like the fact that they they, they don't put their hand up as much I was a Spanish teacher um and you you'd have these girls who would write the most amazing things in their books, in their homework, in their in their assessments. And then I'd, I'd realize that I've never heard that girl speak, mm. you know. Um, as much as you try and encourage it as a teacher, yeah. there's a fine balance between kind of cold calling and trying to encourage a child to speak and then making them feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, we set up a small club within the school Originally it was called Girl Talk. And I, I love think, that. I think it was like a it was like a magazine when back in the nineties, I feel, that you could like buy in Sainsbury's on the like magazine anyway. Yeah, we set up Girl Talk and, and we we just basically created a space where these year nine and ten students could come after school and we had certain topics that we talked to them about. Um we were very open with them as teachers. This is a big thing, right? Like we kind of um used our first names, we talked about our own issues as, as you know, students in the UK education system.
0: As in you personally mm. as well. Mm. So so
1: the space is, was very informal. Yeah. Um, not like a classroom.
0: What would setting. be an example of the types of sort of topics you found coming up
1: in that space? There were things that, you know, are, are say, covered in the PSHE curriculum, which mm-hmm. is the kind of um, sex education side of of education oh yeah I remember (laughs) but like it is so even even now it's so backwards schools are still separating boys and girls to talk about periods really yeah and I think there's space for that in terms of like in terms of like allowing girls a space where they can ask questions without judgment or without embarrassment however we're still seeing like students be separated and be taught different things, right? Right. So maybe the girls will have a session on periods, but supposedly it's not important for boys to know about that. You know, it sounds like I'm being really, I'm blaming teachers here, but it's not their fault. They're just not trained to teach that kind of content. Like it's not in the training. There's not a focus on things that are really going to happen in these kids' lives Mm. um, and teaching them about things that are really going to happen in their lives and things that are happening in their lives. So the kind of content that we wanted to talk about was Um, obviously very female focused but about those kinds of things about relationships about friendships about managing friendships we never talk about that and and managing periods and um, and then also on the other side we had kind of things around goal setting things around um, their ambitions you know what they wanted from their lives so it's almost like a coaching like kind of like a group coaching session the session's definitely become that Um, but Ultimately, we, we kind of, we only recently actually changed our sort of mission statement mm. to talk about creating intersectional feminist spaces. And that's what it is. And it's, it's as simple as that, like providing a space, a physical space, but also kind of a metaphorical space where women and girls and non-binary teachers and students can express what's going on for them and support one another and bond and have a community feel Um, within their school environment, um, where they feel held, they feel listened to, they feel that they want to use their voices, they wanna talk about what's going on for them. So what are the qualities of that space that really lends itself
0: to actually people feeling empowered to be able to sort of share their inner thoughts Mm. that just doesn't happen in the
1: sort of day-to-day typical spaces they would be in otherwise? I think um, obviously very simplistically having an all female space Mm -hmm. um, does really help. Um, From my kind of experience as a student even. So like I talked about our journey starting when I was a teacher, but actually it started when I was a student in school. For whatever reason, for how I was kind of conditioned, um, I assumed that I was inferior based on my gender. Right. That was just kind of like.
0: Did you feel conscious of that as a student? Like, did you consciously make that link or is it now retrospectively having been in the role of a teacher and watching, you know, so many of these talented girls, not necessarily or non-binary people, not necessarily speaking up in class? Is it now retrospectively you see how maybe you didn't speak up as
1: much? That's an interesting question. I would say that within my friendship group, Mm. I probably, it probably was a case of, well, I'm a girl, so I'll keep my mouth shut. You know, and you know, it's like all like very basic classic stuff of going to school in the UK and like boys being super mean and you just kind of taking it as flirting or like, you know, like just accepting it because you just want to be involved, that kind of thing. Yeah. But then I think in terms of like my classroom settings, mm. that was much more probably like subconscious. I would never offer up an answer, I would never put my hand up like, now retrospectively that is a that was like a, I'm a girl so I'll keep my mouth shut type thing,
0: I think. Do you feel that being able to sort of recognize how that behavior might resonate in you has served you now with basically almost like bringing a platform and giving the opportunity for that to not be a history that repeats itself or giving people the best chance that it doesn't repeat itself as a pattern.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, yeah, it was only kind of recently that I thought about my own schooling with what I'm doing. Yeah. Because obviously while I was teaching that was when it was so in my face <coughs> and where I felt like, okay, I'm actually empowered to be able to do something about this. Although So I was, I was educated in a private Catholic school. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, I have spoken to teachers that teach at a very wide variety of different kinds of schools, private, Catholic, not Catholic, non-religious, state schools, mainly state schools. We work in um, the state sector predominantly, Um, but the same issues are coming up. Mental health issues with girls are coming up in all sectors of education, um, And what
0: would you pinpoint those mental health challenges as? So
1: um, a lot of it is just a huge, huge amount of pressure that girls are putting on themselves. Um, We ran some focus groups in last year in 2021 um, where we kind of asked um, a, a bunch of students who are on our program what emotions they feel literally just as simple as that. And the main emotion was like stress, anxiety. That's like the main thing wow. that teenage girls seem to be feeling these days. Like there's so much more like general anxiety and panic attacks and also eating disorders. And and
0: would you say there is a significant difference in terms of girls and non-binary students versus
1: boys? Yeah. So um, as, as I was saying before, like from my own experience and from other seemingly other teachers experience experiences um the issue is is that girls are not are not talking um and expressing how they're feeling about these pressures it's the the attitude from the girls is much more kind of I've just got to get on with it because this is life and like it's probably just me it's probably just me being silly you know it's probably you know I'm not good enough so I just need to put the work in whereas You know, generally speaking, the boys that are feeling that pressure are the ones who are, you know, going to be playing up, getting excluded. And you look at the stats and, like, the exclusion rate for boys is much, much higher than girls. Right. Um. That's not to say that the girls are not feeling the same, like, anger and anxieties as the boys. It's just that they internalize them. I'm sure people know already that the pandemic absolutely exacerbated issues that were already underlying for women and girls. like for Women and girls were um, effect, affected much more, I guess, than boys in during what, the- In what sense? They have mirrors at home. It's such a like basic thing that you would never think about, right? But at school, you go to school, you sit in your lesson, you write in your book, blah, blah, blah. blah. You might go to the toilet like a few times in the day. But generally speaking, you don't see yourself. During the pandemic, it was like screen time. Oh, this is what my body should look like. Okay, great, cool. Oh, there's mirrors all around me. Oh, I'm FaceTiming my friends. Oh, there's me, there's me. Like it was l- literally being bombarded by mm,
0: You're so right. Like, your
1: face and society's expectation of what you should look like. Like when
0: we think about our most primal selves like it's not natural to see what you look like all the time like we might have seen it like in a river whilst we're (laughs) showering under a waterfall if we're lucky um but yeah I mean I'm super interested in that whole impact of social media and I don't know again like is there a big difference in terms of gender and how people identify and the Mm. extent to which they are impacted by that. Like, I don't know because it's been such a huge generational shift for everybody. Mm -hmm. I would be super interested in like what that's been. I mean, I personally don't even have like a personal Instagram and I got rid of that years ago. So I was like, I was like, this is just (laughs) stressful. Like (laughs) I do not need this in my life. but yeah, is that something as well that's kind of become a part of the conversation
1: in the work that you're doing? A hundred percent, yeah, it's, it's a huge part of it. And um, it was something Now I'm gonna throw out a stat here. So in 2020, yeah, there was a study on like girls' mental health and obviously this was like pandemic time, but it was something like 33% of girls aged four to 10 felt sad most of the time. Um, 70% of girls aged 11 to 18, I want to say, felt that they should be perfect. That's, that's the message that they're getting, you know, not, I'm not just, just saying from social, social media, but from, from schools, from the expectation, you know, and that's what it is, right? It's like every day they're going into school and the expectation is you have to do your best. You have to be your best. Yeah. You have to get these grades. And no one is saying to them, that this is okay. And like, however you're feeling right now is okay. Do you want to talk about it? And this, again, I don't want to slate teachers, but it's not their fault. They don't have the time. Yeah. They've been told by their seniors, you've got to get these results. Yeah. And they're not given the time to be able to have these conversations with girls and to give them the space to you know unload what what is happening for them and and often as well they're not having that at home either um and again this is like huge general generalizations and and I also don't want to kind of undermine the mental health issues that are going on for boys and you know the toxic masculinity and you know, the impact of people like Andrew Tate on boys and all this kind of stuff. And there's massive, massive things that can be done for boys in schools in the UK. Um, but as as someone who grew up as a girl in the UK education system, that's where my expertise is. And then having been a teacher, a female teacher in the, education, in the UK education system, that's also where... Um, my expertise lies in terms of training teachers to do what we do, which I realize I haven't actually said yet. Yeah, (laughs) so
0: segue into that one. Um, Yeah, go on. So like with all of that in mind, like you mentioned briefly that mission around creating those, am I saying this right? Intersectional. Intersectional feminist spaces, yeah. Thank you. What is the aim of doing that? Like what's the ultimate goal? Like we've spoken a lot around the kind of mental health challenges, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, like this kind of socially ingrained idea that potentially girls are growing up with of feeling this pressure to be perfect. And then you've also mentioned the additional challenge of, you know, teachers simply aren't given the time or the space or the tools to really tackle this topic. So. Yeah, what is it that Be Her Lead is kind of doing, or what's the
1: goal of Be Her Lead? Yeah, so um, what we actually do mm-hmm. is that we train women in teaching to run workshops and programs in their schools for girls and non binary students. And we provide them with resources to do this on the topics that I was speaking to you about before on things like identity, um, on friendships, on relationships, on periods on creating community on challenges that we're facing um and yeah so so the goal in that sense is for the ethos of be her lead and the impact Mm. to grow kind of exponentially because we train the women in teaching it's like teach a woman to fish and then the girls see that teacher around school all day, every day. It's not just kind of going into schools, running a workshop with a group of girls, they feel super empowered, you leave and by Thursday they've forgotten that they even did that. It's like creating a culture, creating a community within the school um, that girls feel a part of and that, where they feel respected and safe to express themselves. Um, And I suppose the ultimate goal would be for you know, what we train teachers to do, to be compulsory in all schools and to be part of the um, PGC program, like that, why, why could, why should it not be? I feel like we're, we're really missing a trick in the UK here, training teachers to, like, be people and to, like, to, to support their students to also be human beings and yeah. to kind of... You know, it's just so curriculum focused. But it's
0: also when you think about how that transitions into the workplace and like kind of negative workplace cultures that deny our humanity or they deny that we are a person with not just logic, but feelings, emotions, instincts as well. And there's that phrase of like... um. Business isn't personal. And it's quite a kind of archaic thought to think you can totally split yourself in half and Mm -hmm. be, you know, one person at home and a totally different personality in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But like you can see how it even starts in our education system. It starts in Mm -hmm. schools with the fact that there is no real support for a curriculum that actually encompasses the whole of what it
1: is to Mm be human. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's not just like the curriculum, it's, it's just the, it's the culture in schools. It, I mean, listen, I'm talking as someone who was a teacher in one school for three years, but I've had a lot of conversations with friends who are teachers and with um, teachers that have trained on our program and things like that. And I think just the whole sort of idea that, you know, things like the sort of punishment system. In, my, in the school that I taught at, okay, if a boy came in, This is like all students here. If a boy came in with a shorter than a, I want to say a one, like a level one, like like skin fade. Yeah. They were in the focus room for the whole day. So they're missing out on a whole day of education because their hair looked a certain way. But then on the flip side, someone makes a homophobic comment in a classroom and they get a little sort of word from the teacher. You know, it's like
0: the values. (laughs) Priorities. Yes. The
1: values that, that, at school but I think this is kind of across the board from what I know the values that we are instilling in the next generation um are just are, are just not I, yeah the priorities are, are not in the right place kids need structure they're not they're not adults yeah they they do need structure and they do need rules um but I think that it should be taken into account that yes, they're gonna they're gonna leave school at 18 and move into go to university maybe, or just go straight into the workplace, and that they're like humanity. I don't know, they're they're not taught how to kind of manage that, right? But how to manage who they are as people.
0: Interesting about what you're saying to so your like kids need structure, like they need rules, but it's like we're not really set up with structure or any kind of rule book for what it is be her lead actually focuses on. Like you're actually bringing structure and a kind of rule book to what is something that otherwise is totally neglected. Like Mm -hmm. starting to understand how can I express my emotions? How can I recognize how I might be holding myself back? And what can I actually do about that? And at the moment it's sort of luck of the draw, right? You're either bought up in a family home and with a family where you really are in an environment that's conducive to that but the, there are also high chances that you might be a kid that really doesn't have that and it's like well what's the impact on that person's life long term if they don't get access to that mm-hmm,
1: exactly and then it's kind of yeah social mobility is not going to happen where where those kinds of those kids are not yes getting what they need to thrive do you
0: know what I'm loving about what you're saying right now is I think so much when like people talk about social mobility they talk about you know like it's about providing opportunities educationally like making sure kids have access but how much do people actually talk about well, how are you supporting that kid with the psychological shift that also might need to happen of breaking down self-limiting beliefs? Because if those aren't broken down, you can put an opportunity in front of someone, but it doesn't mean they're gonna grab it if they have all these barriers internally to why they
1: would. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's why I think, You know, there there are such amazing programmes out there that are working with kids in the UK. But I totally agree. I think you have to change their mindset in order for them to kind of take those opportunities and to benefit from those opportunities because ultimately if they believe that they can do something, then they're much more likely to to thrive in that opportunity With, with these girls. They just don't believe that they can achieve anything. And... It is so complex because it's not to say that like students who are brought up in, you know, more affluent areas or, you know, in a home where they are pushed to kind of really aspire to amazing things. It's not to say that they don't deserve the opportunities, but it's about equity, right? It's about giving those who are born in these sort of lower socioeconomic areas, not just more opportunity, but more kind of training, more well-being focus to allow them to 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 live their best lives right it's with be her lead especially it's not just about like you should you should aspire to be like top lawyer in the top office in the country no like do what you want to do and create a life that makes you happy um which is another thing that I don't think I don't think schools are able to focus on is is happiness it's like No, you've got to get a good grade. That's what what life is about. And then they're leaving with that mindset of, oh, wait, if I'm not getting promoted or if I'm not the boss, if I'm not getting this pay rise, then I'm failing. It's like when you go to, like, your parents' friends' drinks parties at Christmas, right? Does anyone ever ask you, are you happy? No, it's like, oh, have you bought a house? Oh, where are you living? Oh, have you got a partner? And it's like, I don't know, are... Priorities are instilled in us from from that age, from school. That's something I'd quite like to change, to be honest. So
0: how do you see, like, what's the shift that you see happening when you have a cohort of students undertaking one of these programs with one of your trained teachers? Give us some good news
1: stories. So if we start at the beginning, the first group that we worked with, we started with about eight students in year nine and 10, so they were at 13 to 15. Um, and they, a lot of them had English as an additional language. So maybe they moved to the UK in year seven, started year seven with um, very little English. Um, and so they were very quiet, like super quiet. The first session we ever ran with them was just the most awkward hour ever. Like it was just us four, Teachers just t- talking about our issues when we were in school, and that these girls just sat there looking at us like, "Why am I here? What is happening?" Um, and that group, by the end of the academic year, they basically um, contributed to this poetry like anthology, and then they were invited to the launch of that anthology, which was held at the Houses of Parliament, and the girls performed an Emmeline Pankhurst speech in front of like hundreds of people and honestly if you if you'd asked me if those girls would ever have done that after the first session I would would have said absolutely no way and and that's a very obvious example right because they they weren't using their voices and then they literally performed a speech bearing in mind quite a few of them didn't speak English as their first language to hundreds of other people in the houses of parliament and it was like an incredible opportunity for them and they did amazingly well. And that was like a really obvious, like tangible change. Mm. Um, I suppose more subtly, it's about students feeling safe in school mm. and feeling like they are held and they're heard and that they have somewhere to go um when they do feel overwhelmed. If you asked the Bihali teachers that I've trained, yeah, they would probably all have different answers, yeah. right? Because they're working with girls with different personalities and they want different outcomes for them. Yeah. And that's a big part of it, of what, what we do, right? It's very bespoke. I'm here. I will put all of these teachers together. Let's talk about what's going on in schools. But you know what your girls need. Yeah. So the teachers will pick different year groups. They will choose some of our different resources. You know, they they will run totally different programs in their schools. And therefore, the outcomes that they want for their girls are going to be different. Our first group of super quiet group of girls. And they want to see... Um, see them using their voices more um others might choose some girls who may be getting into a bit of trouble and maybe need their like energy channeling in a different way we can't guarantee that all girls are going to feel safe in schools who do our program but I think for me it's that it's that it's like okay I know I've got I know that I have people here who've got my back yeah I have people here I can go to I have people here I can talk to and what's really amazing is where often in a Bihali group, you're not gonna have a whole group of friends, right? You're gonna have different groups of friends who like maybe don't know each other so well and like you, you might have like the very, very loud girls in with the quieter girls. But what's really beautiful is the way that they kind of bond and connect and like have each other's back after having worked with each other for say a couple of months. Yeah. Um, That's a really, really nice thing to see. It
0: really shows as well the power of community on a personal journey. And I think that that's something that we can also sometimes even forget in in workplaces is we assume people feel heard and respected because we kind of walk around with a mindset of, oh, they'll tell me if there's a problem, but we don't necessarily proactively and consciously carve out spaces that actually really invite and encourage and create a forum for people to share perspectives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that feels safe.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think in the school context of that, um, even as teachers, you know, like perfection is definitely, I wouldn't say that it's a word that's used in your training, but like you're under such high pressure to deliver results that yes, they're, they're within your control, but they're not like completely within your control right yes you teach the students you, you plan the lessons you mark the books sometimes you like you know <laughs> like you're under such immense pressure um and then as girls as well you're like taught this whole well you're, it's kind of ingrained in you right this whole idea of like you've got to be perfect you've got to get the grades you've got to get the numbers dah, dah, dah. that I think for them the idea of a cry for help or for saying like I actually am really struggling with this. Um, I need help. That's a a sort of indication to them of failure instantly. Right. Even though, like, I I feel like this word failure is something that schools are really trying to, like, bring in as, like, a positive, right? Like, if you fail, you try again, and then you do better. And they just talk about, um, oh, my goodness. J.K. Rowling is one example they always talk about. I think it's Michael Jordan. Because I think he was like dropped from the team at one point and they always do an assembly and they're like, hey, this is Michael Jordan. This is his story. Da, da, da. Don't worry about failure. It's like a really great thing. But that's it. That's it. They're like, cool, we've done our assembly, tick. And then we're going to use the same language we always have and put loads of pressure on the year 11s to make sure that they get their GCSEs. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's not a culture change. It's not an ethos change. It's just the tick, box, tick box exercise so that senior leaders, heads of year, teachers can feel like oh well I've taught them that kind of mindset. the same
0: thing happens again like in workplaces all the time like a company might invest in saying oh we're putting everyone on a two-day resilience course Mm -hmm. we've ticked that (laughs) box everyone's super (laughs) resilient now in this organization and actually totally overlook that like the educational piece of having spoken at people about a topic is very different to catalyzing mm-hmm. that internal shift and that cultural shift, as you mentioned. So, okay, we're going to start doing a f- couple of questions that we kind of want to get all of the culture coaches that we're interviewing to give an answer to. Okay. And I feel like this is a good segue into this one. So, you've touched upon the kind of role of culture and actually the culture of schools and like what that ultimately plays into how valuable or impactful this sort of work can be and that a transition needs to happen there. So when thinking about that and maybe just also more generally, what do you think makes a toxic culture?
1: That's huge. Um, Egos. Right, say more. Egos make a toxic culture. If, if you're not collaborating and you say, you know, you, ha- you have a certain idea and you're a leader um, and you're not collaborating as a team with other people to get other ideas because you feel like your idea is the best and that you don't have any kind of, you don't need any other insight, then that trickles down and people feel disempowered and people feel resentful. And this is this is something in schools that's also really prevalent, is that because the adults in charge are under immense pressure, it all trickles down into the students kind of day-to-day life. So yeah, I think in my experience in the workplace, whether that was my first ever job or my <laughs> teaching job, yeah. the times where I felt this environment is toxic is because somebody maybe even myself Mm. is being stubborn because of sort of yeah arrogance and the idea that you don't need any other help you don't need any other ideas I think the lack of collaboration yeah it's a
0: kind of survival of the fittest yeah every man for himself absolutely yeah yeah that's um especially interesting when thinking about earlier, like how we're talking about the role of community and the positive impact that can have for everyone personally as well. So moving on to the next question, what do you think makes a really great culture?
1: I guess it's kind of the opposite of what I said before. It's utilizing everybody's skills um, and positive attributes. and and making everybody feel empowered I think this is such an important thing I think like empowerment of people no matter what you're kind of empowering them to do creates great culture it's it's funny because I feel like I've slated the idea of egos but ultimately we all have them (laughs) and so therefore when they're stroked yeah or when we feel like actually I'm being recognized for something um and this this positive attribute say for example if it's creativity right if you're being recognized as someone who's super creative like oh now can you be in charge of creating the the powerpoint presentations for the topic of um food and drink for year eight for example because you're really great at like creating these beautiful powerpoints for example right you feel good about that you're going to do it to the best of your ability so i think making sure that everybody feels a part of creating that culture
0: well it's it the thing that's interesting and I think what is actually a massive discrimination um in terms of like a very ego driven culture when everyone's out for themselves versus a really great culture where people feel, as empowered as possible to be their fullest selves, it's almost like, well, that's really a healthy version of showing up as you and bringing all the gifts and talents that you have to offer to the table, which is such a different flavor to actually a kind of more ego-driven mindset of being out for myself, which is actually a very defensive play. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Mm. I don't really feel comfortable to truly be myself. So I've got to battle and budge everyone out the way to feel any sense of self. So it's like, it really is the opposite end of the spectrum of like, when someone feels healthy and fulfilled and free in themselves versus when someone feels like, they've got to be
1: in like attack
0: mode. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And also like that that attack mode leaves no space for anybody else. Yeah. So it just creates disconnect between teams, between people. And in order to create positive cultures and great cultures, you have to create space for everybody to contribute, to share, to cry, to, you know, to be like human, right? It's, it's about like creating space and to what everyone can bring to the table. Um, And that's such a like, I feel like that's something that, you know, companies have been talking about for years and years, right? Like, two heads are better than one. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, why isn't that starting? Yeah. And, And I'm not even just talking about like with kids, I'm talking about with teachers, with senior leaders. And again, like I'm really, really conscious here of I'm not absolutely not blaming teachers and senior leaders I was in that environment and you have got to empathize because the the pressure's immense there's no time and to me that just seems crazy that you are you literally are interacting with over a hundred young people a day and your well-being is in the bin it's just to me wild that um you're expected to hold space for thirty-two kids sometimes at a time, who are all going through their own individual, you know, rubbish. Yeah. The idea is, you're the, the only thing that you should be focusing on is, are they going to get good GCSEs?
0: I'm assuming you're referring to as well when you said there's like a cultural shift that needs to happen in the system mm-hmm. in terms of what's being prioritized is actually is. I'm assuming here is part of that proactively carving out the space so that rather than this being an additional pressure for teachers, there is actually the space and the time for them to be able to do this work
1: yeah, exactly that, and like that is something that I think having been a teacher, I can really appreciate, and I think it's important that i I understand the jobs of the teachers that I work with right because mm-hmm. The idea of teachers running beha Lead in their schools mm. is that their SLT recognizes, okay, we our students need this, and we need to give our teachers the time yeah. and the space to do it. Yeah. And that it's something that I am I'm like super obsessed by, right? Like I'm so I really, really encourage the Behalid teachers to call me if they feel overwhelmed. Because, Have you
0: seen an impact in grades out of interest?
1: Um it's not something that we've recorded. Yeah,
0: I would be interested is, is specifically because I feel like it's this very counterintuitive thing where it's like pressure, grades, 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 we don't have time to sit and talk and reflect and share our feelings. But actually, like, I would be really curious for the cohorts that do. Oh, I how mean- that potentially impacts
1: like, yeah, the performance that's the number one priority I would be surprised if it didn't impact their grades one thing I know that it impacts um is attendance which is another thing that schools are really really hot on yeah I've you know I've heard stories about students who regularly um truant regularly are like school refusers um and then who go to a few behalid sessions and then are coming in. I spoke to one teacher and she she had a couple of girls who would always always miss a certain day of the week, and then that was the day that lead was on, and they were then coming into schools. So yeah, it impacts attendance um in a positive way. Um yeah, currently we we focus on quantitative data in terms of impact, um, not quantitative qualitative. qualitative data in terms of impact um and that's simply because we're in our like early days um and that's what we were focusing on ultimately yeah. um I suppose like going down the grade route would kind of enter us into this toxic system or the ideology totally. in the toxic only system if we're trying to change.
0: only if it became a Actual metric for success, yeah. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Versus exactly. a metric of experimentation, yeah. yeah essentially, yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. And I think you know it would be a metric for success in terms of sales, right? Like yeah. if I could go to SLT members yeah. and say, look, like this is the data on on grades, but then it's like, am I then buying into this this culture that I'm trying to yeah, change? Yeah. It's like super it's, conflicting. Yeah.
0: For me, with cultural calculators going into organisations, like it's something. I come up against a lot of like another thing we have to do but like the whole purpose of tracking the experience of the culture and getting people talking about it is to mitigate risks or to identify opportunities that if didn't happen it's gonna be detrimental in the long run. So it's only catching a ball that if you don't catch now, mm-hmm. it's gonna just mm-hmm. eventually snowball for something that you'd have mm-hmm. to catch later. Yeah. But there's this real mindset around time and people's relationship to time and like staying in a kind of reactive cycle with stuff, like waiting for a problem to be there before bothering to think it was ever worth having as a priority in the first yeah. place.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's definitely that kind of reactive attitude in schools for sure. That's that's like the thing, the whole like punishment system, all that kind of stuff. Like, and again, like we're talking about time here. Like there's not the time when year seven start at the beginning of the year to literally nourish the, their well being, like yeah. every hour of the day to then create this school of like completely like happy glowing kids all the time. That would be amazing, but that's not... Yeah, what it's like it's like you need the time to be able to invest in, in the things that for me matter the most, um, and and they just don't don't have that. So I'm actually gonna lead us on to a final question.
0: I'd love for you to leave us with your answer to. So, what is your ultimate tip you could offer for creating a better workplace culture? One tip. One tip. I mean, if you've got some more, no, I won't I stop don't. you. I clearly have zero. <laughs>
1: um, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's pretty simple. I think like listen, just listen. Like keep your ear to the ground. It's not about in terms of leadership. It's not yeah. about going in and saying this is what I'm doing. This is what. Um, this is what needs to change. This is what everybody needs to do. It's about like keeping your ear to the ground, asking questions, listening to the answers um and it that's that's obviously much easier said than done because you can't take in everybody's suggestions yeah. and ideas and all this kind of thing but i just think i've experienced so many workplaces where not places that i've worked in necessarily but from my experience of life so many times where people go in and say this is this is this is what i think therefore this is what i'm doing and this is what everyone else has to do because of that and i just think The the idea of collaboration is what ultimately creates the best culture. Everybody has different backgrounds. Everyone has different life experiences. And in a school context, for example, leaders are in charge of students who all have different backgrounds and different life experiences. And therefore, the best way to kind of impact them in the positive way is to collaborate with as many different cultures and backgrounds as you possibly can.
0: So ultimately listening is the key to collaboration yeah. in that sense. Yeah. The things that I've really taken away from listening to you today is the importance of proactively creating spaces for perspectives to be shared and actually how that can have such a huge impact. On people in terms of their own personal journeys, but also in creating a kind of wider cultural shift in the system. The fact that you can see, oh, actually, attendance goes up across the board from having these communities and these spaces created for people to come together is really inspiring. I've loved listening to all of it. So, thank you.